Hello guys, David Vos here. Oh boy, it's raining today. Well, it looks like it's been raining for a while and uh, very cloudy and cold, cool. Not very cold, of course, in Alabama, but just kind of cool and rainy. Hope you're having a wonderful day. Well, I want to go into some of the book of Samuel where it's talking about where the Ark of the Covenant, how it was taken by the Philistines, and it was this is the time when King David was there, and so they had this war with the Philistines to get that Ark of the Covenant back. But as we go along here, I think what what you were going to find is that it's just going to be amazing, really, to see how much of the story we're not being told or is not being defined properly, even though the the text itself does give us so much information. It's like some kind of mystery that's encoded right in the words. And the mystery is even more mysterious when you think about the fact that not one person in, in thousands of years has ever been able to understand any of the stuff that we're just going to be talking about today, nonchalant. Oh, hey, by the way, right? Uh these mysteries, and we're just going to, you know, share them with you right here. Bam! <laughs> there it is! It's, it's amazing what the Lord is doing. And there really isn't any way that one cannot come away after hearing these things with very deep appreciation for the things the Lord does and the fact that we are now here at this time in history where these things are being opened up to our minds because well let me share it let me just show you what i'm talking about let's go back to the orthodox judean bible because while there are a couple things i don't like about this translation well quite a few things actually but it has a it, the only reason i'm using it is because it is it puts in the names and, and i want you to see these these hebrew words and names not even the names some of them some of the other words it puts in hebrew and it's interesting. But the thing I don't really like about it is it, it has some odd things. I mean, like, uh, it'll throw in the Hebrew word just randomly of a word that makes no sense to be putting in Hebrew. Like, just the word behold or something. Hine. And, and that's very odd. And I really don't know why they do that. I can't for the life of me figure out why. They just throw in this word Rosh, right? Which just means head. Because in, in this word Rosh, we'll, we'll see this here in a second, can mean head, but it doesn't just mean the head itself, usually. A lot of times it means the chief. And so it, it's like you start, it starts making you wonder if they're putting the word Rosh in there because they want you to know it's not really the word head, but some other deeper meaning like the chief or something but you know there's no telling why they did this because it seems to be more confusing than than it's helping in any any as far as i can see but anyway it starts off and this is what's going to blow your mind here the 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 intricate coding that is there that no one ever figured out in these names so it says the pelishitim which you know we call this the philistines so I guess it's important that they write it correctly and they put Peleshitim. Well, I'm glad they did because if you look at the word Shittim, a couple of things, well, first thing comes to my mind is the Ark of the Covenant was made out of Shittim. <laughs> it was wood, but other times it's made out of acacia wood. So I don't know. But the other thing is that the the M is plural. On the end. So it's Sheta or Sata. And now, in some languages, it, it's literally spelled out Set, Seth. And I'm very certain that this word is one of these names of, the, of these deities. And it's literally Set. And as we've said, Set is the same as the Greek Saturn, because the Greeks always put an hour or aus, or un, on the end. So, somehow or another, they put this satun for Satan. And this is where we get Satan. But, 
it goes back to the, the Greek set. Now, a lot of words that the Greeks, a lot of their words do come from Egypt, specifically, because when Rome took over, the first thing they did was kind of take over Egypt. There was, you know, the Greeks, the Ptolemies went down into Egypt. You know, Alexander the Great from Greece went down to Egypt and conquered it in like 330 B.C. So that's 300 years B.C. that the whole area down there in Egypt had been ruled over by the Greeks and then later by the Romans. So it kind of was integrated, their words and a lot of their teachings. So the Egyptian language was heavily integrated. And, and not only that, but a lot of the mysteries. I mean, as we know, Pythagoras went down there and got the mysteries from Solon and Thales, which were Egyptian priests, and they, they literally taught these mysteries. This is what philosophy, which is the Greek religion, right? They were all philosophers. They didn't really have a religion, but they had mythologies. And they knew that these mythologies weren't literal, but they understood the importance of them in telling the grand story of the universe. And they probably understood these stories a lot better than we do today. But they use these words, concepts, beliefs, and reincarnation, and things like this. This was all integrated amongst the Greeks. So all of these words, or these divine beings, had different spellings, but they were the same deity. So the Greeks, or I should say the Egyptians, said set. But when you write it out in the Greek language, sometimes it was written out setor or setu, sete, setan. So it's come down to us as Satan. But normally when we think of the Greek deity, we think of Saturn. Because like I said, that like when we see the word Apollos, usually we see Apollos, but it was written Apollyon, it was written Apollo, it's written with different endings, with different syntax. So this word, Pelishetam, is the word, well, Peli in the Hebrew means like to wonder or something like a miracle or an amazing thing that you're beholding, whatever. We're not really completely certain, and I didn't spend a lot of time trying to really understand what this word Pella meant, but the last part is Satan. So, the word is 6429 Pella And you can see that the phonetic spelling is Pella Sheth. And proper name of a territory, Philistia. In Assyrian, it's Palastu. Palastu. So now look at this. Etymology of the English term Philistine comes from Old French Philistine, from Classical Latin Philistinus, from Late Greek Philistinoi, ultimately from Hebrew Pelisti, plural Pelistim, meaning people of the Pela. And there are cognates in Akkadian or Assyrian and Babylonian Palastu and Egyptian Palusata. The term Palestine has the same derivation. The native Philistine endonym, assuming they had one, is unknown. I just wanted to show you that, for instance, especially the Egyptian Palusata. So there's two root words, palo, which means wonder or miracle, and sata. That is the land of the Philistines or the land of Set. So the Philistines were the people of Set, the people of Satan. And they had captured the... Now, notice how they spell it here, Aaron. Well, that's odd. See what I'm saying? They use these words that, well, that's not really an Hebrew word, you know, because it's not written in Hebrew, and it's certainly not any kind of word in English that we're aware of, Aaron, and it's not talking about the Aaronic priesthood, but, but that's the word that they translate Ark, like the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we've heard a lot of few little things about this Ark, 
But we're never really told a lot about this ark. Just that it's this, we're told it's like a big box. And inside this box, there were a few things. There was the two tables of stone that Moses wrote on, which is not the sacred pronouncements, but it was the the stone that Yahweh wrote with his own finger. And the stone is what the Apostle Paul said was represented our stony heart. So what's interesting is that the word, this word ark here, actually, in many languages, this, this very word was the same word that they used for a coffin, or a sarcophagus, actually. And so you could say, like, for instance, at the, in the Great Pyramid, there is a sarcophagus, but it's empty, right? In the top of the pyramid, it's empty. And I think it's very interesting. When they found it, they never found anything in it. No mummies or anything. Well, why would this tomb be empty? Hmm, ever heard of the empty tomb? Yeah, you see, because not only was Jesus put in a tomb, right? And then they found it empty. But so was Osiris. And Osiris was there and was the, the, the divine being that was living down there in Egypt. So this is all very symbolic and it's a story about these Egyptian deities and the Egyptian deities down in Egypt were literally a story about the patriarchs because this 18th dynasty that Manitho talks about he 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 wrote historical books before the 18th dynasty they had these kinglists that lived thousands of years and there's another kinglist before that that lived even longer like 30 50 100,000 years these people which is interesting because in our Bible where each one of the patriarchs lived about 30 years and they gave birth to another son, it seems like maybe there is where the coding comes in. Because these kings in the Sumerian tablets and the Egyptian hieroglyphs, they talk about them ruling like 30,000 years, 40,000 years. Well, maybe 30 years old really represents 30,000 years and then they handed it off to the other. So, if the first 30 years of Adam's 930 years of life, if his first 30 years possibly represented 30,000 years, then how long does the last 900 years uh, last? Well, it's almost a million years. And that seems to fit very well with the Sumerian chronology. But, this ark then, it's a box. But it's more than just a box. It's a box that holds something very sacred. And the only thing that's really sacred in life is your being. And your being has three different compartments. The Ark of the Covenant was a box to put something in. What else do we know of that's like a box that houses something? Well, your body. And the temple also is a box or a square rectangle or something like that that the Ark is in. And there are these three, like... Uh, walls, the outer court and the inner court and then the most holy. And so in this most holy, you get this little, another little box. Like it just keeps going deeper and deeper. And inside that box is like, oh, something very deep, right? And right above that box was the mercy seat where the Shekinah glory shone. And it was behind the curtain. So you could never really see into it. That's why the Apostle Paul says these stony tablets where your, is, is your heart. Because your body being the temple, if you go into the sanctuary where your heart is, today we don't have living hearts, spiritual, we don't have spiritual life. We're dying. Why? Because written on our heart is this commandments of men, these carnal commandments of this deity of vengeance. It's the material carnal consciousness. We're not yet awake. But what's interesting is there are three of these arcs that are mentioned in the Bible. The first one was made by Noah. Now, the interesting thing about the ark that Noah made was that it actually, he got inside and saved him and all of his eight kids. Now, as we've said, those eight children, or those eight people, they're not including him, there was eight, 
they were saved, delivered from this great transitional period. Like, it's almost like how they got through death. Remember, the waters represents the bottom side of the wheel. And down there in the waters, at the lowest point on the bottom of the wheel, the winter solstice, December 25th, was the birth of Saturnalius, or the birth of Set. That's where he's born. And so it's a very holy place for the darkness, right? For, for, for the, the Lord of this world. For, for the Philistines. And they worship this deity, Dagon, which is a fish deity. And he had a, a man's head, but the body of a fish. Well, no, he had a ram, a ram's head. So you've seen the picture at the bottom of, if you go to Astrological Wheel, you'll see that there's a little goat-like creature that has what looks to be a fish body but it's actually a dolphin. It's a mammal. And the reason for that fish body, that mammalian uh, dolphin, is because it's at the bottom of the wheel, but it's, it's, be, it's because that's where the water starts. right? On December 25th, there are three houses that we go through this water. And this beast, that's the beast that the Bible speaks of in Revelation 13, 17, stuff. It comes up out of the sea. And it's also the same beast or whale, you know, dolphin creature that Jonah was swallowed up in. And he went three days and three nights. So there is these three houses from December 25th to March 21st. And it's three houses of water in some sense because you've got Pisces, you've got Aquarius, Aqua, water, Aquaman, and then um, this house of January, which is Oannes. And sometimes Dagon is called Oannes. In our Bible, he symbolizes John or Jonas. And remember, Peter was the son of Jonas and he went to the Gentiles and Jonas went to the Gentiles. But he didn't want to. He went kicking and screaming because the Lord was going to save all of his children. The people of Nineveh were the lost tribes of his sheep. And they had done wrong and they had gone astray. And the Lord sent Jonah there to tell them that they needed to repent or terrible things were going to happen. Well, he didn't want to go. So a whale swallowed him up and he went through the water. And this represents the fact that all of us are going to get swallowed up by this beast. At the bottom of the wheel, we're going to go through the sea. And what does that mean? It means that we're going to go through these various animal bodies. We're going to become like the fish, then the birds, and the mammals, and the men. And graduate. And finally, we'll get our great white robes. So, the kingdom of Philistine, which is interesting because we call that area over there Palestine. We have for years. And so, it, you could call it the kingdom of Israel, right? Or you could call it the kingdom of Philistine or Palestine. If you're calling it Palestine, you're saying it's the kingdom of Satan, is that what it means? And the kingdom of Satan had captured the ark. But like I said, there are three of these arks. So we've got the ark that Noah and his children and his wives and their wives were saved. It is some kind of an ark that has to... that that It is some sort of divine protection. We're going to see that word protection here in a moment as we go through this very coded, symbolic parable here in 1 Samuel chapter 5 in a second. But the other ark I was telling you about that, that the Bible speaks of, aside from the Ark of the Covenant and, the, and Noah's Ark, is the ark that they made and put bitumen around and put Moses in. When Moses was born as a little baby, his mother put him in this little ark and set him on the Nile in the swampy area near the Nile. And it's always been a very odd story to me as a child hearing this, thinking, you know, being told this is all real, this is not mythology, this is real. This all happened exactly the way it says. And maybe some of it was, maybe all of it was. But the primary point is that this is very symbolic. And the reason Moses was put into an ark is because Moses was a very important person. 
And of course, we call him Moses, but in the ancient Egyptian, they called him Moshe, like Ramesses or Amenmosis, Toothmosis, Toothmosis, which is Thoth, Moses. So Moses is a very common name for Pharaoh. Why? Because Moses, being the very first of the Moseses, they would have Moses 1, Moses 2, Moses 3, or whatever. And they would always have this long title. So they would they would name themselves after the deities like Amun or Thoth or something. And there's another lineal descendant we call Joseph. You might not, it might blow your mind, but Amenhotep, sometimes Amenhotep, but it's also spelled Amenhotep, which is Joseph. Amenhotep I was in the same period of time that our Bible says Joseph went down into Egypt and became the Pharaoh. But Joseph's father was Jacob, of course, and Jacob's father was Isaac, and Isaac's father was Abraham, and Abraham was the first of the pharaohs of this particular dynasty, and it's, he's literally called Ibrahim or something like that, and people don't realize it's Abraham. And it tells you these deities, these the names of these pharaohs, and it, it's literally historical. So yes, the Bible as we know it is some kind of an historical record. The only reason that it may not be completely literal is because the, the record is describing thousands of years and sometimes certain individuals are not talk it's not talking about a particular individual it may be coded not just in our bible but it may be coded also in some other histories that we know in different countries but <clears throat> what becomes very interesting once we see this is that the ark then is really not just you know, like why would it be called the box? You know, like this is the box. It's not really the box, right? It is a box, but that's not what it is. It's a sarcophagus. It's a coffin. That's what this box is. So why is it we're going to get saved in a box? That's death, right? Well, we are saved through death, and Osiris was saved in the coffin down through the waters of death. And Noah was saved in a coffin. Now, what coffin is this? Well, you know, we have a physical body, which we live in. But when we die, you see, we wouldn't make it through that, the waters of, of the astral realm. We wouldn't make it through the afterlife, through hell, through the duat, if it weren't for the boat that came and saved us. And the boat is the one boat or the body of Christ that we're all saved in. This is why it's got bitumum around the outside. It's anointed. It's That's what Christ means. Christi, or to be christened, or to be anointed. So the box is anointed, and it's a spiritual box. Yes, it is a, a structure, but it's not material. It's not of this physical world. It's of a different dimension. And everybody who ever dies must go through this great mystery. We will be saved in the ark. Everybody will be. And those eight that were saved in the ark of Noah represent eight particular, very interesting, special things. Parts of our existence that must be preserved. And so everything's preserved by the divine providence of our Heavenly Father. That's what this is about. This is the story of death and life. This is the story of Jacob, or Jason, going around the wheel on his journey. So, at the bottom of the wheel is the land of the Philistines, and that's the kingdom of Satan. And so, the ark, then, is going to give us salvation. We need a place to live. You see, a person can't be alive and enjoy existence without a body. A spirit without a body is just a disembodied spirit. And without your body, you can't really function. You can't really enjoy life. You, you know, you need a body to walk around. It's the material imaging, the image. So it's like saying if you didn't have a body, you wouldn't have thoughts. 
So it'd be like you would be sleeping all. Yeah, you'd be unconscious. So the fact that anyone who is a divine being has to think and their image, and therefore this imaging is something that comes from that inner source that we talked about yesterday, from the light. And it's there by the providence of that light that we are taken care of, we are in his arms and nothing can ever happen to us is so reassuring and gives gives me, particularly it gives me great comfort to know that there these things are taught in the scriptures. And for those who have eyes to see, with the eyes of faith, we know that these things are true. And it's just a shame that the world has lied. People like Jehovah's Witnesses and, and you know Constantine and other evil apostates have hidden this from the from the babes. But we see that Satan, or the land of Satan, had captured the Ark of Elohim. And he brought it to... Well, this again, here's this word even. That's I don't know why they're using that word. Ha-ezer. This is one word, even ha-ezer. It literally, eben means stone. And not just like a big rock or something, but more like a stone or even a, it's used for a precious stone at time. So it could be a precious stone or some kind of a pebble or, or a stone. But it's the stone of Ezar, which they say means protection or help. Help more in the sense of a protection. So it was the stone of protection. What kind of stone would protect you? Especially when it's not some big stone or a fortress that's protecting you. We're not talking about a big fortress. We're talking about a very small stone. Well, stones or amulets have always been protectors and have, and 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 so it it really isn't saying that any kind of stone can protect you. But what it is saying is that there is a magical quality to this particular stone because of the fact that it may be a kind of a crystal or this stone may have been particularly blessed. Remember how some of these stones, like the stone that Jacob raised up and and anointed, and that stone became Bethel. And it was a place where you could ascend into the heavens. So what is this particular stone, really, that through it you can reach heaven? Well, now, it is a portal, isn't it? It's a gate. And so what kind of a gate would we be talking about? Well, certainly, there are energies and vortices in this world that Christians have never been told about. But it is through meditation and higher consciousness that we achieve this. But it can also be achieved through certain amulets and herbs. And and what we're saying is basically... Through the mind. Now, the mind, of course, is energy waves, thought waves that image out and make forms. So, to reach a higher state of consciousness, sometimes people use affirmations or blessings, prayer. So, when you have a crystal, it's a lot like today. We have computers. And all this information is stored in a little computer chip. A computer chip is literally a crystal. Now, a very powerful computer, very powerful, would be using a diamond or a quartz or something. You know how they have quartz crystals in watches to keep time? Well, these little chips that we have today are very inefficient and not anything like how our brain works or natural the natural in uh, crystals in, in, in the universe that holds this spot. Now, inside of our earth are many beautiful crystals and so our consciousness is literally being held and reflected in and bouncing back so that we see that image bouncing back it's literally a place to store information and knowledge but as czar czar means the ruler you know we, we were talking about uh, Osiris which is the ruler that was in this sarcophagus so this word Ha-Ezar really is Osiris. So notice that the Philistines captured the Ark 
and brought it from this stone of protection, which is some kind of stone that has something to do with Osiris. And he brought it from Osiris unto Ashdod. Now, Ashdod is a city, uh, like the, the, the capital city, the religious capital of the kingdom of Satan, or the Philistines. So it would be at the very bottom of the wheel, on the, at the winter solstice. This is symbolic, of course. This is where we see that Saturn, or Saturnalius, was born. That's his birthday, Christmas time. And that's Santa Claus, who's born and lives, you know, in the, in the winter, in the darkness. And so when the Philistines, or the Pella Satan, took the Ark of the Deities, they brought it, the, the Ark of Elohim, which is the Deities. And by the way, the New World Translation translates that the true God, right? It's not just any God, but the true God, because this is Elohim, that even they recognize is the true divine being. But their problem is that they begin to get off and misunderstand that there are many of these divine beings. This is a plural word. And they brought it to the Bas Dagon. Well, Bas, I don't know what they're doing here in this translation. Because Bas is not even the word. It's Bas, which is house. The house of Dagon. And Dagon is that fish deity we talked about with the beast body or the fish mammal body that has a goat's head because, remember, when you get to the bottom of the wheel, you've gone all the way to the bottom. And that's the pinnacle. And that's the pinnacle of the Mount Sinai. And so, when you reach the pinnacle, there's nothing you can do if you're going forward but to go up now. You're climbing up this mountain and you're going now towards the top of the wheel through the, through the water. You're swimming upward. So, in order for this goat to climb, he's got to have the, the fins of a fish because he's going through water. So he's got a goat's head because he's a climber. And he's got a fish body because he's climbing through water. And so this is the story, you know, of uh, the little mermaid. And we'll see that here in a little bit that, you know, well, Amon Hosef, it, in history, tells us that his, his wife's name was Mary. Yeah, Joseph, his wife was... Her name was Mary. Well, it really wasn't Mary because, you know, Moses married a Mary and Jesus married a Mary. These, this word Mary in Greek just means a Lord, a divine being. So, the little mermaids, you know, you see this big bearded man that, that rules over the ocean. Well, that's the devil, okay? That's uh, one of the devils. There's actually a couple. There's uh, the, the devil that rules over the, the bottomless pit, which is... Hades, or Apollyon, and then there is the devil called Poseidon, which is Odan, which is Dan, and is Adonai, and that is Yahweh. And he's spoken of in Revelation chapter 9 as Father Adonai, or Abidon. And his other name in Greek is Apollyon. So, they took the Ark of the Covenant and they, they took it to the bottom of the wheel. Well, what does that represent? It means that when you die, you got to go down through the bottom of the wheel. And the Philistines are going to have your body in their care. And you're going to have to learn all kinds of things. It's going to be a tough road. And you're under their law, in their kingdom, right? And they're trying to kill you. But don't worry, it's going to work out alright because... Osiris rose. Isis went and gathered him up. And like we said the other day, Mary Magdala met Jesus at the tomb when it became dawn, when the sun began to rise, when we have enlightenment, we wake up. You know, everybody's got to sleep and then we wake. We go through the night and we go through the day. And so Jacob went out to meet Rushel. But let me, um, I, I'm, I'm not caring for this translation because they throw in all these words that really I don't even know why they're there they're, they're, they're not English words they're not Hebrew words they just throws us off so let me 
Let me get a better text here. Um, what? Well, let's just go to the, the King James Version, I guess. So, we'll read on from there in the King James. It says that, And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, oh, the dawn, early, right? Early in the morning, like Mary Magdala went to the tomb early in the morning. So, when the morning came, Behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. Well, the word place in the actual Hebrew is stand it up. They stood it back up again. Well, what does that mean? How? Why is it fallen down and it had to stand it back up? Because you see, the ark goes down at the bottom of the wheel. That's at the bottom. There's, a, there's an upside down cross down there. Well, I wonder who could be, you know, hanging from a cross upside down. Remember that not only was Jesus hung on a cross right side up, but now this is where they try to fool you, the occult and the different satanic organizations. They want you to believe that Peter died upside down on a cross, but there is no evidence of that whatsoever. It doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't even say that in any of the Apocrypha except for some crazy misinformation that people will tell you about. The person who died upside down, and it's in the deck of the tarot cards as well, it shows you who's hanging upside down from a tree, and it's Judas Iscariot, because it says that after he betrayed Jesus, he went and hung himself. And it tells you in the text, if you read it carefully, that he was upside down, because it says that that he, all of the money came out of his pants that he had stuffed in his pants so he was upside down and the money came out now you'll see that on the tarot decks so you see this is the great devil so who was judas we know judas hung himself up and fell upside down and who was he well it says satan entered into him right there in the scriptures he was the house or the embodiment of satan you notice the whole world they're always doing these things to, to fake you out. I mean, you know, you see a lot of people wearing upside down crosses. Some of these people don't know what they're doing. Even those that are involved in the occult don't necessarily know what they're doing. I don't even know if Aleister Crowley knew what he was doing. But this is a great deception because you, you hear all the time that December 25th is the birthday of Jesus. And most people are like, wait a minute, Jesus wasn't born December 25th. I mean, not any possible way. According to the Bible, there were shepherds still in the field. There's no way he would have been born when shepherds were out in the field. Because in Palestine, in Christmas time, there might be snow on the ground and it's very cold. However, we do know what deity lives down there at the bottom of the wheel. What mountain that is, that's Sinai, that's the mountain of this carnal world. And that is the birth of Saturnalius, as you can easily go and look that up and find it out for yourself that Saturnalius' birthday was in December 25th. Now, I don't think Jesus would have been born on the very same day that the devil was born. That's not how this works. They're opposites. And so this then is why Dagon falls down. The wheel goes down to the bottom and we go through winter. And so it says, and when they rose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And it says, and the head of Dagon and both, and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon, or the bottom part, was left. Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any that came into Dagon's house, tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod unto this day. So, what does it mean that the palms were cut off? Well, the hands or the palms are literally representative of the actions of this body, right? So, when you're sweeping, you know, you're really, you're lying down, right? And you're not really using your hands. So in verse 6, it says, But the hand of the Lord was heavily upon them of Ashdod. 
and he destroyed them and smote them with imrods. Imrods. Well, that word, that's an odd word because they say it means a tumor or sores. Like they, they got sores all over them or tumors. Well, the word literally just means a hill, like a little mountain. So, but it does seem to indicate sores. And so evidently they're using this little word bump or hill to represent sores because it is used in that sense. Uh, and they were complaining. So it was kind of a suffering. It was like a disease. It was like they broke out in some sort of spots or bumps. And uh, so it says, uh, he destroyed them and smote them with these tumors, even Ashdod and the coast thereof. And when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, the ark of the deities or the Elohim of Israel shall not abide with us. For his hand is sore upon this and upon Dagon, our deity. So they sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Elohim of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the Elohim of Israel be carried about unto Gath. So this is the second place that they take it. And they carried the ark of Elohim of Israel about thither. And it was so that after they had carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city with very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had emroids or another little spots or tumors or some disease in their secret parts. Now they had these boils or something, you know, in their um, sexual areas. And so this has something to do with, with, you know, getting to the root of the problem here. And therefore they sent the Ark of the Elohim to Ekron. And it came to pass as the Ark of the Elohim came to Ekron that the Ekronites cried out saying, They have brought about the Ark of the Elohim of Israel to us to slay us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines. And by the way, there were five Axis lords. It always says that there were five Axis lords. So this land of Satan was broke up into five districts with five lords. And those five lords represents the five senses of the body, the material body. So even though it's talking about the bottom of the wheel in astrology, it's also talking about your body and the material form that we live in and the five senses. So this is a spiritual esoteric teaching. So send away the ark of the Elohim of Israel and let it go again to its own place. Again, that means to be stood up, right? To go around and to be standing up. That it slay us not and our people, for there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. And the hand of Elohim was very heavy there. And the men that died were smitten with these tumors and, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Well, now notice that there were three different places where this ark was carried. It was moved. It went forth. Remember also that the Israelites carried the Ark of the Covenant on their back with two poles wherever they would go. And they would go along the circuit of Galilee. When they carried it, it went through the circuit. Well, why in the world would the Lord ever allow this holy Ark to be captured by the devil? Well, because you see the sun goes through the top side of the wheel. And as it goes down, it goes into the kingdom of the devil. It goes into the bottom of the wheel. And so if you get all the way down to where Satan is born, at the bottom of the wheel where this beast-like Dagon deity rules, the fish deity, you've got three houses. So the Ark of the Covenant is seen being carried or moving, going forward through these three cities or houses, each of these Houses or whatever have a city that rules over it. So you've got Ashdod, Gath, and Ekron. So these three represent Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces. And this is the story of astrology. Just like just about everything else that you're going to read in the Old Testament and in the New, the whole story is about us going through life. So you could say it's about astrology, but you could also say it's about the journey of man through life and death and through all of these animal 
characters working out our life through reincarnation, going forward through the houses. And the bottom of the wheel, then, though it represents death, now this is the interesting part, doesn't mean that we're actually dead, right? We still have a body. And the body is provided for us by our Heavenly Father. And nothing can happen to us. This body, though, that we're going to be living in is temporary. Okay, because we're going to get our immortal bodies when we get to the top of the wheel. But down there in the bottom of the wheel, we have these animal bodies. That's the body we're in now. We're at the bottom of the well. We've gone over into the light when Christ came 2,000 years ago. This is the dawn, the dawn's early light. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light. Okay, so we're in the dawn's early light right now. And we're going to the kingdom of the Lord in the realm of light. And we're the children of light. And in this top of the wheel realm, our bodies will become immortal and we will never die ever again. And we'll then become crowned. We won't become some other animal, right? We've already conquered all the animal bodies, but we'll look like humans like we do now. We've evolved to this point. And we're going to get our crown and we're going to get our white robes. But this just explains then that the Israel today, as the Apostle Paul said, the Jerusalem that is now corresponds to Hagar, who is in bondage with her children. And that is the flesh that's in bondage to the law. And Jesus came and there was the man that had all the legion of devils in him and he was chained to a post. Because he was violent and mean and crazy. Well, we're all violent and mean and crazy. We're living in a world that's crazy. We don't know what we're doing because we're, we're, we got demons in us, right? Fears and hate and jealousy. And we're ruled over by the deity of jealousy, Satan, at the bottom of the wheel. And we're being ruled over by these five axis lords or the five senses. And so when Joshua entered into the promised land, Joshua or Jesus, you see, that's the same, Jesus' name is Joshua. And it doesn't mean Yahshua, it's Yeshua, which means he is our salvation. And so, when Joshua entered into the promised land with his dog, Joshua represents Osiris, and his dog, Sirius, Caleb, because Caleb means a dog, they went in to conquer the land. Remember, David had to kill Goliath with a Philistine, right? There's giant. Well, who are these giants? Well, the giant that we're so scared of is this anger, is fear itself. But David wasn't afraid. And he slew him with a single little pebble. Not, you know, by might or by strength, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And we don't have to worry. We don't do the fighting. We don't conquer. The Lord is our rear guard. And he will do all the fighting for us. All we have to do is trust in him. And so we're literally, we've got to fight against the five senses, the five axis lords. So what did Joshua do? He took the five kings, he put them in five caves, and he rolled over the stone. And then once the leaders of these five groups, five senses that rule over these, these dimensions here in this world, this lower dimension, once he had their leaders in a cave, he wiped out their armies. It's an easy battle after you get rid of the fight. If you stop thinking of your conscious mind, then you see, you can conquer this world and you receive the higher enlightenment. And then he opened, and after he conquered all their armies, then he rolled back the stone and he brought their leaders out and crucified them on five crosses. The flesh or the five senses must be crucified, dear friends. This is why Jesus came like a serpent that was lifted up on a cross and everybody who looks unto him shall be saved because Jesus crucified his flesh. Come and take up your cross and follow me. And the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners saying, What shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to its place. So, seven months. Again, seven's always a complete period of time. 
you must go through this suffering and receive all these plagues or this, you know, we learn by the things we suffer. We're down here at the bottom of the wheel in these animal bodies living in this, under the, under the rulership of these five senses. And it's very, it's very difficult. We're going to suffer and we're going to break out into some kind of disease or tumors. And this suffering is going to last seven months. This is the trial. This is the tribulation that we go through. And then the woman gives birth and we don't remember the travail anymore because we've given birth to this wonderful child. It's all worth it. But we've got to go through the pain to get to the goal, right? We've got to experience the bitter so that we can appreciate and understand that the sweet is so good. So in order to receive the joy, we've got to climb the mountain, right? It, it, the glory is up on top of the mountain, the end of the marathon, right? But running the marathon's not ever that easy. So the Apostle Paul says, run the race that you may attain the victory and get the prize. But it's going to be a tough thing. We're going to have to run as though we can win, right? There's, you can run this thing if you don't, if you don't run hard or pay attention, you might not win. You know, you might fall down. That's what the word sin actually means. There's all different kinds of words in the New Testament that have something to do with going on a path or falling off the path or turning around, going backwards. That's what repentance means. It doesn't mean anything like, you must repent, you know, before the elders and do penance or something like this. No. To repent simply means to turn around and go in the direction of the prize, right? You got off the path. You went backwards. You know, you're going, you're, you're defeating your purpose here. That's all it means is that, you know, like a baby is trying to learn to walk. The baby's going to fall down many times. It's not like, oh, it was a terrible thing. You know, you fell down. No, every, every child falls down. And everybody will go through the ark and it's the only way we're going to get saved. We're going to have to carry this ark around through the bottom of the wheel. And so they carried it for seven months until it rested, right? At the end is seven, the cyclical period. And you must go through the entire period, the, the, this time, this due time, until it's finished. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do to the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewith we shall send it to its place. And they said, If ye send away the ark of Elohim of Israel, send it not empty, but in any wise return him a trespass offering. Then ye shall be healed, and it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. See? The hand of Yahweh, Poseidon, Odan, is ruling over this area down there in the sea. Poseidon. And so, why would you make these offerings of mice and tumors? Well, it represents the suffering. And it says that you shall know why his hand is not removed from you. So you see, Yahweh's hand was heavily upon them and, and, and causing them great plagues and suffering. So the ego is going to cause this suffering. It's going to demand some sort of sacrifice, an offering. And so the Judeans had to offer unto Yahweh their firstborn son. They had to offer unto him all their gold and they had to give the firstborn of their flocks. He demanded recompense. He's the Lord of vengeance. So you see, the devil, he rules down at the bottom of the wheel. That's Yahweh. And he's demanding vengeance. Well, Dagon is going to find out that he's not the one that's calling all the shots. The kingdom of this physical world with the five senses is ruled over by the five axis lords of the Philistines is ruled over by the deity Dagon. And that deity is beholden to Yahweh. He's going to have to admit that he's been defeated. So now let's bring all this together. Dagon is a, a deity. He represents the carnal flesh because his five axis lords are the five senses. Now Yahweh is the lower consciousness. He's not the flesh. He's not the five senses, but 
He is the lower ego. And the lower ego that says, I am vengeance, rules over all of it, brings into being this carnal. You know, he is the deity that rules over the bottom of the wheel. And he's got these archons that he created. He, and, and these are his deities. And Dagon works for Yahweh. Well, now remember, inside this outer court, which is the, the outer wall, the material, you go in, there's layers, and in the most holy is where this ark is. Well, it was over the Ark of the Covenant that you had this seat, the mercy seat, the propitiation for sins was conducted there, and the blood had to be placed there. And that, that does represent the heart of this tabernacle. But who demands justice and vengeance? It's Yahweh. And therefore, the Ark of the Covenant was the Ark of Yahweh's covenant. You see, our Heavenly Father has the true tent, not made with hands. And the tablets of stone is your stony heart that's in that covenant, based on temporary things that will all come to nothing and will, will be eaten up with the jealousy of this deity, this vengeance. And so when the Philistines tried to take this ark to get this power, they don't understand what they're dealing with. The five senses don't doesn't understand what it's dealing with in this world. It's subject to justice and the laws of Yahweh. And the law of Yahweh caused the judgments and and demanded this offerings, these the offerings of gold, golden mice. It's disgusting offerings. So Dagon is the Antichrist. He dies upside down on a cross. Jesus dies right side up. Jesus goes willingly like a lamb to the slaughter. Dagon goes kicking and screaming, but will pay the price that Yahweh puts upon him and will fall over and upside down and pay that price and the sores and the torture and all that happens, they will endure and they must appease Yahweh and offer these offerings to Yahweh. But Jesus is not Dagon. Jesus, like Jacob, went and crossed the river Jordan on the right side of the flow of energy from Laban's house, from Father El and found the sheep that were innocent and pure. The nature that we have in this world, there is, an, there is an innocent nature, and you must cultivate them and lead them to water. And Jesus is the shepherd that leads the, 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 the good physical nature, the innocent, humble physical nature, the obedient that understands that one must attain unto life by literally, willingly giving up your life. Jesus said, whoever will give up his life will gain it. So why would you do that? Because we have to know and trust in the Heavenly Father and his divine love and understand that we have to leave this world. We're not giving up life. We're giving up this carnal, wicked world in order to get one that is eternal in the heavens. We were only here caretaking this world and being ruled over by this hard taskmaster. And now we're going to graduate to another class. and We're ready to move on. Our kingdom is no part of this world. Pay Caesar's things to Caesar and let's go. So here we have something that a lot of people are misunderstanding. They say that perhaps, you know, there are some rumors that Jesus never really died, but Judas died for him. Well, the Bible covers that. The Bible says that Jesus died on a cross and so did Judas upside down. They both did. The difference is that Jesus was like a lamb being led to the slaughter and fulfilled the law of this egotistical Yahweh willingly. Whereas Judas, who is filled with Satan, is the Antichrist who will die, but because of his sins, he will pay. He will offer up the offering because of the fact that Yahweh demands it. And just as with Jesus, he got his way. He condemned Jesus to that cross. And there, there come the soldiers and they took him away and led him to the slaughter. So, so 
we're not saved by the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh. That's the covenant of Yahweh. And we're not saved by that Ark. We're saved in the Ark of Noah. And the Ark of Noah that has the bitumen around it so that it can get through the waters is the Christ. And Jesus is that Christ. So, when Jesus died, that inner spiritual Christ, that inner body, the Ba, that is the spirit that leaves this physical body, it's immortal. It's the reality. It never dies. We've got to give up this illusion to realize and recognize the Christ. That's why when the disciples were on the road after the resurrection and they saw Christ, they didn't recognize him. And finally, when he fed them the sacrament and he gave them the honey, their eyes became open and they recognized him. So, we got to do like Jacob and cross the river and on the right side of the river towards the sun, we need to find those innocent sheep and when we see the rays of El or Rachel, we need to run out there and meet her because that spiritual Christ must be wed to Mary Magdala. That Horus that is reborn is not this physical world, but that is the eternal, everlasting Son of Isis and Osiris. That is Jesus. And the Christ consciousness, which is Jesus Christ, will become awakened when he sees Mary Magdalene coming at dawn, at the beginning of the enlightenment. When we receive the enlightenment from on high, then we'll have the wedding and we'll kiss her like we learned yesterday. And that is Isis. And she's going to come along and save her husband, Osiris, and raise him from the dead. And he's going to rise on the horizon. And that is Mary Magdalene and Jesus Christ, who are the literal heavenly body that made it through the, the living hell that we are all in. If we're all in Adam, we're also in Christ. And when we physically die and the devil does everything he can to destroy us and to get our bodies to submit to him and we suffer and we eventually die in this ark, right? And everything on the earth dies except for what? The soul. There are eight things that get through that ark. Take the number eight and turn it on its side. And what do you see? The figure eight. You've heard that before. It represents eternity, right? Why would that be? Because as we said, seven represents something cyclical. So time is not infinite. Time has a beginning and it has an end. But the infinite has no beginning, nor does it have an end. So seven represents time in this world. And we do something until it's finished. So we have uh, forgiveness seven times, right? We... We have seven days in a week. So it has to do with time itself. Time is finite. Eight means infinite. So once we get through this boat, right? Once we get through death and this experience, we're ruled over by the devil and his minions. Yahweh made it very clear that he was the deity over Dagon. Dagon was in submission to Yahweh. So Dagon is not the devil, but he's the son of the devil. And we've talked about that because you know, Baal and Dagon are of that same kind of family that is one of these archons of Yahweh. Yahweh is Inki, and Inki has Marduk, and Marduk is Baal. And so the god Dagon is a brother of Baal. And they work for Yahweh. Now, sometimes they try to usurp authority and they want to take over the, the kingdom, right? But Yahweh always puts them in submission because he is the 
deity who creates this physical realm and rules over the five senses of the five axis kings of the Philistines. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, right, he went through hell. This is the same story, right? And he conquered the devil down there in hell. Well, he was raised on the first, early in the morning on the first day of the week. Or as it says in the Greek, the first day after the Sabbaton. What is the first day after the Sabbaton or the Sabbath? It's Sunday, the first day of the week. And this is why Christianity always had these great festivals and this love feast on Sunday because it represented the day of our, the day of, because it represented the resurrection or infinite. And therefore, this is why there are eight people that survive in the boat because this now is the soul, the eight souls that the Apostle Peter says got through the flood. Eight souls that were saved by water. Friends were saved in the body of Christ. So we're not going to die because we're in Christ. As in Adam all die, but in Christ also we made alive. We're in the boat. We got the anointing. The boat was anointed with bitumen. It's going to ride through the waves. It's going to conquer this bottom of this wheel. And we're going to go through this. And all the animals are in the boat, right? What are the animals? The zoological animals all the natures that must be brought into submission so on the eighth day is the resurrection and eight souls which is your soul which is now immortal and saved once you're saved you're saved and you never have to die again we put on the white robes of salvation anyway guys i'm gonna go ahead and go it's like we're well over an hour again i'm gonna go ahead now and get this uploaded May the Lord bless you guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one.